Welcome to our 147th podcast and the 117th as a city on a hill church. This is the second part of the teaching time from the January 26, 2020 service. It was a very special service for us as Pastor Mike is taking an assistant pastor's role at Calvary Chapel Visalia, a much larger church. His teaching will continue on this podcast, so this should be no change to our listeners. Keep coming back. The whole of God's inerrant word will continue to be taught here. This message is entitled, A City on a Hill Cannot Be Hidden, and it speaks the truth about our continuing ministry here at A City on a Hill Church as we become a satellite church of Calvary Chapel Visalia. Here is Pastor Michael Clark. Okay, we are going to open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you'd like to open up there with me. We're going to read verses 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, and I've entitled this message, A City on a Hill Cannot Be Hidden. Matthew 5.13 says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Of course, this is the verse, Matthew 5.14, that we uh, take the uh, name of our church from, a city that is set upon a hill. I've had a lot of people ask me, why don't you call your church a church that is set upon a hill? That would make more sense. I said, well, because that's not what Jesus says in the Bible. Jesus says it's a city that is set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. And this is Jesus teaching us, his disciples, the body of Christ, how we are to be in this world, how we are to represent Christ in this world. How are we, how we are to show Jesus to a world that is lost and dying in darkness and in sin. Paul the Apostle would tell us that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. So we all live in this world. We all have to get up and go to work and take care of the things and go shopping at the stores and do everything like everybody else does. But this is not our home. We're in this world, but this is not our home. We're not of this world. We're of another world. We're ambassadors. For Christ, diplomats, as it were, representing a king and another kingdom to planet Earth and to mankind. It's interesting that Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It's good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, salt in the ancient world, as in many places in the world today, is used as a primary preservative to preserve meat and to preserve food so that it doesn't rot, so that it doesn't go bad. Uh, salt is also uh, a, a cleansing agent. In hospitals, they use saline solution, which is salt water, purified salt water, 
the dentist will tell you if you've had oral surgery, rinse with uh, saline solution or salt water because salt also is an antiseptic. It kills bacteria uh, and it heals. It, it uh, promotes healing to a wound. Uh, a third aspect of salt is that salt also creates a thirst. When you eat salt or you have salt, it creates a thirst. And so whatever Jesus is intending to tell us, I think it's somewhere here between these three applications or perhaps all three of these applications. When he says you are the uh, salt of the earth, I believe that Jesus is instructing us and commanding us to be a preserving factor in our culture, to preserve that which is right, to protect and preserve the things that are true and righteous and good and holy and honorable to God in our culture, in our world. We are to preserve what is good. We are uh, those who are holding back the evil and the flood and the tide of evil that the enemy wants to bring upon the world. So we are to stand for what is right and not compromise and preserve the things that we know are true from Jesus Christ in our culture, in our lives, in our homes. We are to be those who apply uh, the salt, as it were, to those who are wounded, to those who are hurting, to those who are broken. And yes, initially the salt, uh, salt stings. You know, if you uh, cut your toe and you go into the ocean, it burns at first like crazy. Uh, while, while that salt is getting into the wound. But eventually, uh, it stops the bleeding and the pain goes away and uh, and it begins to promote healing. And so we are to be those who bring cleansing and who bring wholeness and who bring healing to the lost and to the broken. Just like you were lost and broken and you needed to be spiritually healed uh, before you came to Christ. So too, that is our charge. We are to be the salt of the earth. Also, we should be creating a thirst in everyone that knows us. A thirst for what? A thirst for Jesus. That if they get to know you, they get to know a little bit of what Jesus is like. Even though we're not Jesus, I'm not Jesus. He lives in me through the Holy Spirit. We are his body. We are members of his body. And so when people see you, do they want more of Jesus? Or do they think I want nothing to do with Jesus because this person you know, if, if all Christians are like this way, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. The truth is that Jesus is is and always has been very attractive to sinners. And so if we are repulsive to sinners and we're repelling people away that God wants to save, we're no longer reflecting Jesus Christ to them. Because if we were, we would create a hunger and a thirst that they would want more of Jesus in their lives. And so Jesus tells us, you are the salt of the earth. We must be salt in the world for him. He also says that you are the light of the world. Verse 14, and a city that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, under a bushel, but they put it on the lampstand so that it gives light to all who are in the house. Light provides illumination and light provides clear direction. When you're in the darkness, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 105 tells us. And so light, when the scriptures speak of light, and Jesus said, I am the light of the world, uh, it is illumination of the truth. It gives understanding and wisdom of truth because it is light 
in darkness. Also, the light gives direction to those who are navigating their way through the darkness. In this world, there's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of stumbling blocks. There's a lot of snares. We need direction. We need wisdom. We need how to go. We need to know how to go and which way to go as the Lord leads us. And so, uh, we are called to be light in the world. We are to be those that would provide illumination to those who are in darkness. And we would be those who could give clear direction from God's word to those who are looking for wisdom, looking for truth, looking for understanding. Now, Jesus says you don't light a candle or, or a lamp and put it on a table and then cover it up with a bushel. That would defeat the whole purpose of having a candle. It would defeat the whole purpose of having a lantern. Why would you light a lantern, put it in a dark place, and then cover it up? And so Jesus says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we are called to let our light shine, not to cover up our light. But it's very interesting that Jesus says in Matthew 5.14, He says, you are the light of the world and a city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Now, a light can be covered. He says, nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand so it gives light to all who are in the house. So we can choose not to let our light shine. We could cover up the light. We could deny that we're Christians. We could just go with the flow and uh, go with the conversations of the world and not tell people that we are saved and that we are different and we could cover up our light if we choose to. Uh, We're not supposed to. God wants us to let our light shine. But you cannot contain or cover up the light of a city on a hill. Notice that Jesus says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. A light can be covered up with a peck measure, with a bushel, on a table, in a house. But you cannot hide a city that is set upon a hill. So if you think about the picture... And this is the, really the, 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 the truth that God showed me when we first started our radio ministry at City on a Hill Radio many, many, many years ago was that even though an individual can cover up their light, you cannot hide a whole city of lights. And so if we're all shining brightly for Jesus, we will shine so brightly that Nothing can shut that light off. Nothing can shut that illumination down. And uh, no one can shut that light off. And it provides illumination to, on a hill, provides illumination for all those who are down in the darkness. They want to come to the light because they want to see what it's all about. What is this Christian faith all about? What does it mean to be a Christian? That's our charge. That's our job is to be salt preserving what is good, cleansing those who are sick and dying from sin, uh, creating the thirst for more of Jesus, and we are light, providing illumination and truth and wisdom and understanding, being led of the Holy Spirit under the inspiration, the Word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give direction and, uh, and illumination. Now, in the book of Acts, in chapter 20, Paul the Apostle was uh, getting ready to uh, depart to Jerusalem. It was prophesied that he would not come back, uh, that actually he was going to be put into chains, and ultimately uh, those chains were going to lead to his martyrdom or his death. But this is what Paul tells the elders here in the church of Ephesus. The church of, uh, of Ephesus, he'd been there about three years uh, at this point, and he was getting to, ready to leave to go to 
Jerusalem. And this is what uh, Paul the Apostle tells these leaders of, of his uh, of the church there in Ephesus. Acts 20, verse 25. He says, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. He knew that he wasn't coming back. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. By the way, verse 28 is a great scripture to show the Jehovah's Witnesses when they come to your door. Let's read that again. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So God purchased the church with his own blood? I thought Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. Yes, to both, because Jesus is God. Verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. Verse 35, In everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so, Paul the Apostle was basically uh, making the declaration and making the statement, you're not going to see me again, um, but I'm here to testify to you, he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Now, I'm leaving. You will see me again, because I'm still going to be living here in Tehachapi for some time, commuting and so forth. Um, uh, I may even make a, a guest appearance here someday again, if uh, my boss allows me to do that on the Sunday morning. Um, so so uh, you will see me again. They weren't going to see Paul again. And I have not declared to you the whole counsel of God because we've only been here for two years. Uh, I think I think we're doing great for a two-year-old church. Um, very healthy church. Very loving church. Uh, but I, I, I cannot say with Paul that I've given you the whole counsel of God because I just have not gone through the whole Bible. Um, I've been here teaching in Tehachapi for 15 years, and I have covered just about every book of the Bible. I haven't taught expositionally verse by verse through every book of the Bible, probably about 60% of the books of the Bible we've taught through verse by verse. But we have not shrunk back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God on every subject, on all the unpopular subjects, all the politically incorrect subjects, and, and you know this. Uh, and that's why some of you uh, like Calvary Chapel and you like this teaching of this city on a hill because we don't apologize 
for the Word of God. Who am I to say sorry or to try and explain away the clear teaching of God's Word? I dare not explain away the Word of God or apologize ever for God's Word. And uh, God's Word is truth. And so we must know the truth, and the truth will set us free. He is talking to these men as overseers. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Shepherd is another uh, word that could be translated to pastor, pastor. Uh, the, the word pasture, pasture comes from the word pastor, which comes from the word shepherd. It's all the same idea. It's the idea of a shepherd who's taking care of a flock, who's taking care of his, his sheep or, or the owner's sheep. And so, um, he was, Paul was, uh, commending them and he was exhorting them to, to, to guard God's flock, to guard his sheep, uh, to oversee them. To, to shepherd them, to tend to them, to care for them, to feed them, and to love them. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, Peter, John chapter 21, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, tend to my lambs, feed my sheep. He tells them three times, feed my sheep. I have done my best for the 15 years I've been here to feed God's sheep, to love God's sheep. And to give you the word of God as best as I can in an unapologetic manner. To not apologize for God's word. To not explain it away. But to let God's word speak and do the work that he does in each one of our lives. As his word comes and transforms us. And conforms us into the image of Christ. We need God's word because it is the truth. Delivered to mankind. It's God's love letter. This is the truth. We test all other truths in the world by this book. And anyone that contradicts the Word of God, we choose to believe God rather than man. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter got the, the memo from Jesus when Jesus had told him, if you love me, feed my sheep. Uh, Peter said this about feeding the sheep in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 2. He's speaking to the elders here in, 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 in this, uh, uh, group. He says, uh, in verse one, I exhort the elders among you. First Peter five one is your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sort of gain, but with eagerness. And so uh, the charge to the pastor is to love and feed the sheep. Love and feed the sheep. It seems very simple. It's not that easy, but it is simple. Love and feed the sheep. And uh, this is what the Lord commands the church's leaders to do for his people, to tend to and care for uh, and love and feed Christ's sheep. This church is not my church. I'm leaving, but it's not my church. And it's not your church. It's Christ's church. I'm going to be ministering in Visalia, but that's not Bob's church, he'll tell you. It's not his church, Pastor Bob. It's Jesus' church. It's Christ's church. Because I didn't shed my blood and die on a cross to purchase the church. Only Jesus did that. 
So we are all serving Jesus. We're all under Him. And He owns the church. And He is the head of the church. And there are different people that are called to be in different positions in the body of Christ. But, you know, guys, all I have to do is show up here on Sunday morning uh, and be ready to teach a sermon. And you take care of all the rest. I don't do anything here except for show up and teach. Uh, you know, so we're a body. We all do our part in the body of Christ. And that's how the church operates, how it functions, and why the church is still on planet Earth after 2,000 years. It's amazing. With all the corruption of the popes uh, in the past centuries and all the corruption of the kings of, of England and of France and, you know, all of these uh, uh, groups that have uh, taken the church and used it for political power or to raise an army or to tax the people. It's incredible that the church still exists after all of that corruption and vice. For 2,000 years of history, the church has been a mess, and yet Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And here we are in 2020 saying, yes, Lord, that is true. Your church is still alive and well on planet earth because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Paul the Apostle was so sold out uh, to the Lord. He he said this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and this is a, a, a beautiful kind of insight into his thinking and his heart. Uh, he, was, he was a single-minded man, single-minded uh, in his service for the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, Paul the Apostle said, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He just said, I just can't help myself but preach Jesus. I can't help it but to just go out there and proclaim the truth of God's Word to a lost and a dying world. He couldn't, he couldn't stop. It was within him. Jeremiah says something very similar. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. I'll read to you what Jeremiah said. He said, but if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary of holding it in and I cannot Endure it. Jeremiah was saying, I can't stop preaching God's word even if I wanted to. If I stop speaking God's, because remember, nobody listened to Jeremiah. They threw him in the public latrine. They locked him up and put him in jail. They did the opposite of whatever he said. He had the most unsuccessful ministry in history. He wrote the book of Lamentations afterwards was a lament for the nation of Israel because nobody listened to him. Nobody believed him. And he was a prophet of God speaking God's word, trying to save Judah from utter destruction of the Babylonian empire that was on their doorstep. And, and, and so at times, Jeremiah, like any of us, he just said, I'm not going to speak anymore in God's name. I'm not going to talk to you people anymore. You know, you don't listen to anything God says. And yet he tells us that he couldn't stop preaching God's word because it was like a fire within him that burned within his soul. And he had to speak it. He could not endure holding it inside. In Revelation chapter 22, we're told that we are not allowed to add to the words of the prophecy of this book, 
nor are we permitted to take away from the words of the prophecy of the book. A true pastor, a true shepherd, someone who loves the sheep and feeds the sheep, will never subtract from the Word of God, take anything away from it, or add to the Word of God, add anything to it. Because there's a very severe warning for those who would add to or take away from God's Word. God doesn't apologize for His Word, neither should we. In Matthew chapter 7, again, as Jesus was speaking there in the Sermon on the Mount, we read this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. And so Jesus was warning there's going to be false prophets. There's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing that are going to try and come in and deceive the flock. Paul the Apostle told the church of Ephesus almost the exact same wording, almost the same thing. And so uh, we have to understand, guys, that, you know, a, a church is a precious thing, a, a lively, healthy, loving church, spirit-filled church, a church that honors Jesus Christ, preaches the gospel, and believes and preaches his word, is a treasure. It's priceless. It's not the common thing. And the enemy doesn't like that. And so we would expect that the enemy would try and attack a city on a hill uh, once I am in Visalia. But I know we have enough strong people in this church, people who have discernment, people who have wisdom, people, men and women who know the word of God, uh, who are men and women of prayer, who are going to make sure that there are no wolves in this flock. No wolves in sheep's clothing. And and by the way, how do you know if somebody's a wolf? They don't come looking like a wolf. They come looking like a Christian. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. They look like everybody else. So how do you know if they're a wolf? Well, you look at what they're feeding upon. Because uh, wolves feed on sheep. They devour sheep. Sheep feed on the Word of God. Wolves will come in and try and create a, a faction or a clique or a split to peel people away to themselves, to take disciples unto themselves and to pull them away from the work of God that God is doing here. And so you will know them by their fruits, Jesus said. If you see someone here and they're always causing division and they're always trying to get people away and get them aside and trying to get them to come away with them, uh, trying to pull disciples unto themselves, uh, you know that this is a wolf in sheep's clothing and they need to be removed. They need to be asked not to be a part of this fellowship if they are going to be uh, working against the work of God here. Wolves in sheep's clothing, false prophets, those who come in and say, thus saith the Lord. Again, very often, someone who comes in, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, making prophecies, but oftentimes they're the center of the prophecy 
They're the ones who are the, you know, get all the glory of the prophecy. They're the ones who are drawing attention to themselves. They're trying to elevate themselves by saying, listen to me because God speaks to me. He doesn't speak to you. God doesn't know your phone number. He knows my number. He tells me what to tell you. Be aware of that. Be aware of that. Because everything will be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Can the Lord use prophecy? Of course He can. God can speak through people. He does it every day. However, the main way that God speaks to us is how? Through His Word. That's right. So if anybody ever comes into this building and says, thus saith the Lord, and they begin to tell you something that you know does not agree with Scripture, you know that this individual, you'll know them by their fruits, is a false prophet. In verse 21, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus says in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Remember, his disciples came to him at one point and said, Lord, are there many who are believing on you? Are there many who are being saved? And Jesus basically told them this. He said, seek to enter through the narrow gate. For the road, the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there's only a few that find it. But avoid the broad road and the broad gate, the easy way, because the broad road leads to death and to destruction. And many are they who travel that way. And so uh, we, uh, again, it's, it's a narrow way. It's a very narrow way. It's not a popular message in the culture today. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ is not a popular message. But we don't apologize for it because it's the truth. There's only one name given under heaven by which men must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. There's no other way to get to heaven. He's the only one with the antidote for the sin condition of the world. We're all dying, we're all sick, and we're dying because of sin. And Jesus is the one who comes with the antidote to heal us. There is no other way to get to God except through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 6. We can't apologize for that. We can't avoid that controversial verse. We must proclaim it with boldness and confidence because it is the truth. And you all are nodding because you know it's the truth. Because you remember who you were before Jesus saved you. I remember who I was before Jesus saved me. And we cannot compromise the Gospel message. In verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine. So you're listening to this, right? Jesus is speaking to you and me here. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them or does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. So what foundation are you building your life upon? We built this church upon the foundation of the rock of the Word of God. That's why we have a stable church. We have a solid church. We have mature Christians because you've been fed the Word of God. You have an appetite for the Word of God. You love the Word of God. And you're wise men, you're wise women according to Jesus because you love the Word of God, because you have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to you as an individual this morning. You come with an anticipation, Lord, I want to hear from you today. I need to hear from you today. I want to know what your Word says so that I can live a life that's pleasing to you. You're a wise man if you do this. You are a wise woman. And when the storms of life come, because notice Jesus said the storms come upon everybody. It comes upon those who are building their house on the rock, and it's, the storms come to those who are building their house on the sand. So Christianity does not uh, absolve you from trials or uh, keep you from difficulties or adversity. Quite the contrary. All who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you seek to live a life for Jesus Christ, people are going to hate you because they hated Jesus. They hated Paul the Apostle. That's okay. We're in good company if they hate us for our testimony of Jesus Christ. But the foolish man, the foolish woman, is the one who sits in church and hears the Word of God and then goes out and does the opposite and thinks, I will be the exception to the rule. Or, this doesn't apply to me, it applies to everybody else. Listen, you're not the exception to the rule. I'm not the exception to the rule. It's like the law of gravity. You go up to a, you know, 20-story building and jump off because you think you're going to defy the laws of gravity and you're going to fly. Uh, 100% of the time, you're going to splat on the ground. You're not going to fly because it's a law. It's a law of gravity. You're not going to defy the law of gravity. This is true. This is a law. If you build your house upon the Word of God, when the storms come, your house will stand. If you reject the Word of God, you refuse to do, especially if you know better, if you know the Word and you choose to do the opposite, when the storms come, your house will fall. And great will be the fall of that house. In Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul the Apostle says this, and this is uh, very likely the last uh, letter that he wrote before he was uh, martyred. Second Timothy chapter 2, and verse 2, certainly one of the last letters that he wrote to the churches. He says this, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is called discipleship. Remember, Jesus said uh, that he was sending his disciples into the world not to make converts, not to just keep, keep uh, get people to say the sinner's prayer or to get baptized and get their name on a baptismal roll in some denominational church. He didn't send us to make converts to say the sinner's prayer. He sent us into the world to make disciples, to make followers of Christ. Those who are going to take up their cross, deny themselves and follow Jesus. 
This is the charge to, to every church for 2,000 years, to every Christian, that we are to uh, entrust these truths to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It is a sort of passing the torch, as it were, to another group and to another generation. He continues by giving them three analogies here of what it's like to be uh, a servant of the Lord. He says, suffer hardship with me, verse 3, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. And so three illustrations or analogies of what it is like to serve the Lord. It's like we're like a soldier. We're in war. It's a spiritual battle. You're never, you're never off duty. The time that you let your guard down is when the enemy comes in and hammers you uh, the hardest. So we always have to be on guard as a soldier would always be engaged and he would not entangle himself in the affairs of this world. Also as an athlete, uh, this one does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Paul often talked about the Olympic Games and, and athletics as a comparison to our Christian faith. You know, athletics requires discipline. You can't go out there and party and do everything that everybody else is doing. You have to be sober-minded. You have to take care of your body. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Even as an athlete trains himself and disciplines himself so that he can achieve the prize, so that he can win uh, the the goal or win the uh, wreath of the Olympic Games, whatever he's competing in or she's competing in, so too you and I, we are like that athlete. We must discipline ourselves. We must understand uh, that we are his servants, that we are those representing him to the world. And we don't get a day off, guys. The enemy doesn't give us a day off. Uh, he's always there to try and, and, and hammer us or to try and tempt us or to try and discourage us and lead us astray. But no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Finally, he says the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of his crops. So we're also compared to those who farm. Uh, agrarian culture, they understood this very clearly. We don't much understand the agrarian mindset in the agrarian culture, how hard it is to be a farmer, how difficult it is to plow the field, to remove the rocks, to overturn the soil, to run uh, irrigation and make sure that you have water, to plant the seeds, make sure it's good seed, to tend to the seed so that whatever you're growing grows up and comes to a harvest. And then the work of going in and taking the harvest. And so none of these things are easy, guys. It's not easy being a, a high profile athlete. It's not easy being a soldier on the front lines. And it's not easy being a farmer. No one said it'd be easy to be a servant of the Lord. But the hardworking farmer understands that you must have patience for the seed to grow and for the seed to bear fruit. And so we are called, as those who are serving the Lord, to be patient and to trust Him that if we are faithful to His Word, we're faithful to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that God will bring the, the growth, God will bring the harvest, God will bring the fruit in His time, and you will know them by their fruits. By the way, the evidence of a spirit-filled person is not that they speak in tongues or that they prophesy. That's not the evidence. Those are gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's not the evidence of a spirit-filled person. 
The evidence of a Spirit-filled person is a person who's filled with love. Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Guys, remember one last thing, that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. This is His church. He's the Good Shepherd who laid down His life for the flock. And that's why everything is going to be okay. Because this is Jesus' church. And He's the Good Shepherd. And He loves His sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.